My guy, Meta World Peace Pipe. Man, hell of a name, I'm not gonna lie to you. I wanna shout out to the halftime basketball community from E. Devendorf, former Syracuse basketball player. Yo, Mitch, what's up, man? It's Craig Smith, the Rhino, former NBA player and BC legend. Shout out. Shout out. Losing the ball. Smith has it. Hudson. Bounce pass to Craig Smith. Puts it down. Who's afraid of that big bad wolf? Metal World Peace Pipe. What's going down? It's the big baller, baby. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to the halftime community from the big baller himself. That's right. You guys keep it right and tight. Keep doing your thing because big baller brand is in the building and you know how we gets down. But anyways, y'all do y'all thing and we going to do our thing because big ballers got to stick together. Again, shout out to the halftime community. That's right. Big ballers out, baby. And I holla. Let's get ready to rumble. I don't know why I did that, to be honest. That was pretty random, but it just felt right for episode 10 of the Halftime Community Podcast. I'm fired up. I just had a sip of pre-workout. I'm teed up. I'm ready to go. So let's get right into it. Some teams rounding into form. Not too much has changed since I talked to you guys last. But I really like this part of the NBA season when we get into the second half of the season and pretenders start separating themselves from contenders. You've got those contending teams who are starting to work out their postseason rotations. And if you really are a hoop head and you really just like those parts of the game, the intricate parts of the game, you can really see a lot in the second half of these games, especially when two contenders are playing against each other. So keep up, keep your eye on that. I watched the Warriors play last night. We'll hear from a Warriors fan here in a bit. Um, but the Warriors last night, they beat the Utah Jazz. And a lot of that was because of the Warriors bench unit. They had Nico Mannion out there running some point for them. They had James Wiseman coming in spell the tide when Steph Curry and Draymond Green were on the bench. So this is a really interesting time for the NBA. And if you're a true hoop head, you can get into some of those advanced rotations. Also, we had some strong showings from some rookies. Anthony Edwards went off. He had another posterizing dunk. Seems like he's going to have one of those every month that you just look back and say that's one of the best dunks of the year, at least maybe every two weeks now. The guy's been on fire as far as being athletic. But he also led the Timberwolves in points last night. He went off for 34 points in a Timberwolves win. And that's a rare thing to say this season, but it was a Timberwolves win. And then we look at Oklahoma City. It's Poku time, baby. Alexei Pokashevsky, young rookie. He spent some time in the G League earlier this season. I really like him as a prospect. He is rail thin, just like KD was coming out of college, coming out of Texas University. But Poku, if you can't tell from the name, he's an overseas player. Had some strong showings in the G League this season. He's really competitive, can shoot from outside. In fact, he actually broke a Oklahoma City Thunder record. He was the youngest player in franchise history to score 20-plus points, and that includes um, the Seattle Supersonics as well. So he beat Russ Westbrook's record. He beat KD's record. He is officially the greatest Thunder player of all time. I think that's what that means. And then also, other big news. Joel Embiid, the lead MVP candidate, went down with a scary injury. Um, luckily, it just looks like it's a hyperextension, so it shouldn't be too too much to keep him out of 
significant regular season time at the end of the year or playoffs, which is what's really important for the Philadelphia 76ers right now. But you hate to see that, especially with Joel Embiid. The guy's had a career season. His kryptonite has always been, is he in shape and can he stay off the trainer's table? And so far, he's done a good job of that this season. Unfortunate timing for the injury, though. You hate to see it. And then we've got the Miami Heat. I mentioned them last podcast. They were looking better since Jimmy Butler came back. Uh, Bam Adebayo's had a career season quietly in Miami. But the Miami Heat, they're resurgent. They're climbing up the power rankings. If you look at any power rankings, the Miami Heat are squarely in the middle of things now. Jimmy Butler's played great as of late, being that all-around gritty player that the Heat need. Heat culture, that's what it's all about, Heat culture. And then maybe, you know, you never know what can happen in Houston. Victor Oladipo, they're having a fire sale right now. Maybe the Heat can grab him for just a dump off a guy like Kelly Olynyk, or they just dump some salary on the Houston Rockets. Or the Houston Rockets may even buy out Victor Oladipo if it comes down to it, and the Miami Heat would be the preferred destination, it seems like, for Oladipo. Speaking of injuries in the Eastern Conference, we have Kevin Durant. He's had a little bit of a bugaboo here of late. Um, seems like they keep extending his injury time that he was supposed to be out. Initially, it's supposed to be a game or two, maybe three games at the most. It's turning into weeks at a time. Anytime that a big man is going through something like that, it's really concerning, to say the least, especially with a guy like Kevin Durant, who's had that Liz Frank injury in the past, where that injury just kept extending and extending, and he ended up sitting out an entire season. So it's not time to hit the panic button yet. And I'm not worried about Kevin Durant fitting into things when he comes back, even though the Nets are playing really well right now, playing like the best team in the NBA, to be honest, right now with James Harden and Kyrie Irving leading the way. But Kevin Durant, he's a true professional. He's a bucket getter. When he comes back to the lineup, he's going to do just that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one of my favorite young prospects in the NBA, one of the the under-the-radar prospects, I should say, in the NBA, Nicholas Claxton for the Brooklyn Nets. He sat out the beginning part of the season, so we didn't see him initially with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden all at the same time. But he's really come on for the Brooklyn Nets as of late. Steve Nash has trusted him a little bit more, giving him some more minutes. Um, DeAndre Jordan, you know, we all know he's past his prime. His best years are in Lob City, far behind him now. But Nicholas Claxton, ironically, plays a lot like DeAndre Jordan. That rim runner, that rim protector, mainly his buckets are going to come from dunks. He does have a little bit of a shot, outside shot. Um, he's built more like Kevin Durant than he is DeAndre Jordan. But he's done well for himself as a rim runner as of late. So we'll see how he develops. Maybe he can play some minutes for the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs. Head fake. Lob. Oh, it's Claxton. The Clax attack is in full effect. All right. Well, I'm, I'm here with uh, Tyler. How do you say your last name? Rossi. Rossi. Perfect. And he's on the app, Halftime Community app. I saw him post on there today. And we'll, we'll get into that post a little bit later because I, I liked what he, you had to say in the conversation you brought up there. But um, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what fan, what team you're a fan of, what players, all that sort of thing. So, uh, like I said, I'm Tyler Rossi. Um, joined the app just uh, last week and uh, been loving it ever since. Uh, been a fan of the Warriors for a long time now. Uh, really got into it my freshman year of high school back in like 2010. Um, so that's when Seth Curry wasn't even known yet. Monte Ellis was the star of the team. Um, 
and yeah, I uh, just fell in love with the game, fell in love with uh, watching uh, and, and learning as much as I could. Eventually got into learning like the historical side of everything. And um, I guess favorite players right now are probably, you know, Steph, of course. Um, Giannis is up there. Luca, I think, is going to be around for a while. I was listening to uh, one of your episodes earlier about uh, the Mavericks and how Luca is going to just, you know, take off. And it's going to be fun to watch how that all pans out. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned, uh, I think a lot of the younger fans and the fans on the app that are of the younger generation might not remember. Steph Curry took a back seat for the first couple years there in Golden State. He wasn't he was thought of as a great shooter and coming out of Davidson, you know, he was a hot prospect. He was a first round pick, but nobody thought he was going to be, you know, this generational type player for the Warriors. It was all about Monta Ellis. Yeah, no, for sure. He uh, I mean, you look at what he looked like his rookie year. He was like 170 pounds soaking wet, uh, super tiny and so they, they definitely took a chance on Steph, and no one could have seen, you know, he's going to be a generational talent until he really took off. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack with Steph Curry there. But this season, the Warriors are 20-19 and 19 right now, uh, which would make them eligible for the play-in game if the playoffs started today. How do you feel about the season so far? Uh, it's been up and down for sure. Uh, someone said there's a conversation about like describing your team with one word and it's like, you know, battling or something like that. And that's, that's been the story of the season. You know, Seth is our main guy. We're hoping that Wiggins can get hot. Kelly Oubre can get hot, but he is just so consistently inconsistent. Um, there's been good takeaways like yesterday uh, against the Jazz. They played fantastic. I think that is their ceiling. Um, I mean, Jordan Poole came in, dropped like 25, I think. Um, he has only a handful of games, but average, averaging about 19 points per game in the last five games he's played. Um, James Wiseman is in and out. You know, he missed the one or most of the one game because of the missed COVID test. Came in the fourth quarter. I'm sure he was mad, so that kind of drove him a little bit. Dropped 14.7 rebounds. Yesterday got 16 points and shot like eight for 11. And uh, he's someone that I think a lot of fans are wanting to see develop specifically because it's been a while since we've had a real post player. Um, Andrew Bogut was one, but his main you know usage was with playmaking, being a center that was able to move the ball. Um, but with Wiggins, like he's coming in, or sorry, with Wiseman, he's coming in and he looks like you know, he's built just like Giannis was, um, in fact, a little bit even bigger. And he's quick. He can run the break. We've seen that happen. It's just I want to see him more in the post more than anything because, I mean, he's quick. He's big. And right now he's uh, he is able to get wide open dunks. But, you know, I just want to see those uh, more of the flip shots and, you know, that good stuff. Yeah, James Wiseman, uh, that's a conversation in itself. The Warriors this year – Seems like every big superstar that's on the trade rumor block um, gets rumored to the Warriors at some point. And James Wiseman, to me, if they ever were to pull the trigger on one of those trades, he would have to be in the trade. There's just really no way around it. 
as much as Warriors fans I've seen. You know, it's the classic fan thing of we'll give you Brad Wanamaker, um, Jordan Poole, Nico Mannion, and a future first-round pick, and you give us Bradley Beal. That's just not this is not realistic. It's never going to happen. Um, you need right. to throw in something for the other team to actually chew on. Um, so if is there a name in the NBA that you would be willing to throw a package together for, including James Wiseman, to trade for? Throwing James Wiseman, I think it's it's too early to tell. Like I said, the, I I do like the guy. I think that he that his ceiling is high. Um, the only name that I've seen on the trade block, like yeah, Drummond is there, but I think that we could get the same kind of usage out of Wiseman as you could with someone like Drummond. Um, I mean, if if he's developed correctly, of course. The only name that I have really seen on there is just Oladipo. I think that he could uh, bring a lot to the table for the Warriors. Um, it would be kind of a gamble um, getting rid of uh, Wiseman form. I do like the idea of uh, Wiggins, Wanamaker, uh, someone else, and of course a draft pick for Oladipo. But because I mean, you know, with him coming in, you could have Steph playing off ball. Um, Draymond obviously is going to um, always be the point forward that he is. And I think they could open up the floor a little more. And for me personally, uh, I haven't been the biggest Wiggins fan. I do want to see him do more, but there's just something about him. Like he's not able to, you know, be a spark plug for the team, bring that energy um, night in, night out. Last night he did uh, really well also. And I mean, hey, things can happen, uh, you know, second half of the season, despite what happened with the Clippers recently, they could uh, move past that completely. And, just, uh, you know, go to work. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think they really struck gold with James Wiseman. So e- either way you go, I mean, you'll be you'll be good as a Warriors fan. They'll be good for a few years to come. Um, yeah, I saw some other names thrown in there. Zach Levine, maybe he's rumored there. Uh, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Bradley Beal earlier in the season. I don't think the Wizards are going to move Beal at this point, um, but I don't expect any of those big names to go to the Warriors right now. You mentioned Oladipo. I think, honestly, the Warriors could put together a package for him, especially with Houston struggling so much, and they're just trying to get rid of everybody right now. So Oladipo could be a realistic target for them without giving up Wiseman. Um, You mentioned Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre, I, I really like him as a player. He always plays hard. Um, I like to talk about the Kelly Oubre experience where, you know, he hits he hits a three and then he'll slap the floor on defense and then he'll come down the next time on the court, miss a layup and then miss a three the next possession. That's kind of the Kelly Oubre experience um, in a nutshell. What what are your thoughts on Oubre? He's going to be a free agent after this season. Would you rather throw him in a trade package or let him walk or would you re-sign him long term? Um, well, like I said earlier, he is uh, consistently inconsistent. Uh, we all know that about him. That's kind of how he's been uh, since his time with the Wizards. Um, but one thing that people are still forgetting about is, you know, Clay is still out. And I think next year we're going to see, should his body hold up, a whole other side of Clay. I mean, he's been dying to get back on, out on the court. He may not be driving to the basket as hard as he did because, you know, ACL and then Achilles. Um, you know, he there was an interview yesterday just after the Jazz game where he's kind of talking about what he's going through with rehab. And he's doing all that he can, 
you can tell that it's taken a huge mental toll on him. And I think that we're going to be able to see a whole new side of him next year. And so I don't think that we necessarily need to keep Ubre. If we can trade for someone, that's awesome. It's always hard to just kind of let someone walk when they have value. But yeah, I think I think our best bet is just kind of seeing how everything plays out because you know we don't know what the team is going to look like when Clay is back, and I think also right now the front office almost doesn't know exactly what they want with the team. You know, Bob Myers ever since KD has left last uh, in 2019, he's been saying you know we don't really know what's going to happen. We're just going to let it all play out and. Then you also have Bob Myers right now saying that he's going to be aggressive with trades. But then Steve Kerr is like, I have no idea what's going on with trades. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how all that plays out. Yeah, interesting for sure. Ubre, I guess he could be thrown in for a package for Oladipo, just thinking from the Rockets' perspective. Um, they just use him pretty much as a salary dump at the end of the season. So more to see there. Um, Bob Myers kind of holding his cards close to his chest right now. With this current Warriors team, I watched the game against the Jazz last night, and what really impressed me was the bench unit. Um, they had Nico Mannion out there for a portion. They kept Wiseman and Wiggins out there while Steph and Draymond were sitting, and I really liked how that unit played together. They had Wiggins, Jordan Poole, um, Eric Pascal. Um, I mentioned Wiseman out there as well, Nico Mannion. How do you feel about the Warriors bench unit? Is that something they can, uh, is that specific unit something they can lean on going forward to get Steph and Draymond some rest? I think so. Uh, Steve Kerr has been talking about how he is coming up with a new rotation. I was quick to, to judge after that Clippers game how there was still a lack of rotation. Like, you know for sure that Steph is going to play the first quarter, sit out the first six of the second. And same thing for the first half. Like all, all teams know that too. Or sorry, the second half. And all teams know that too. However, that that bench squad from last night, I do think should be one that Steve Kerr keeps experimenting with because I really like the pick with Mannion. I remember watching uh, just certain videos of him in in college and I think also high school. I saw a couple of clips of him and he is just he is so fast. He has the ability to be a great playmaker. Same thing with uh, Jordan Poole. And both of them, Jordan Poole especially, are finding their shots. Poole last year was one of the few key players on the beaten down Warriors roster, the the G League team, as I called them. And, I mean, I went to a Jazz Warriors game in Utah in 20... It was early 2019, I want to say. And, uh, you know, the... The team was already obliterated at that point. So Jordan Poole is one of the key players in that. And, you know, he has his his moments where he kind of falls off. And I think him going to the G League has really helped him in his development, which has been awesome. Minion, um, I think, is someone that can also really lead a bench squad. And Pascal, too, last year was in the running for Rookie of the Year. And I think it's still making case for him to be a, legit, a legitimate kind of two-way player. Uh, I mean, Draymond is how I kind of see him. And I think that uh, Draymond is also kind of taking him under his wing along with Wiseman in that, you know, he sees the potential in them and wants to 
you know, put his knowledge into their heads. Yeah, for sure. I really like Eric Pascal coming off the bench. Um, eventually, he may, you know, look for another contract and look for more money to be a starter somewhere else, maybe on a team that's a little bit that's struggling a little bit. I could see him going to like the Timberwolves or the Magic on a bigger contract eventually. But I think his perfect role is the one he's in right now. So we'll see how he goes going forward. Um, on the Steph Curry conversation, he's getting older, a little bit older on the tail end of his prime. Same thing with Clay Thompson um, and Draymond Green. But can Steph Curry, in your opinion, lead a championship level team still or will he need a legitimate second superstar next to him um, whether that be you know James Wiseman developing or Clay Thompson coming back along with Draymond Green as much as it hurts to say I do think that you know the time has changed for Steph uh, I mean the numbers that he's putting up right now are um, incredible and very sustainable and I mean obviously leading this Warriors team but if there's one thing that the Clippers game um, just recently showed us, uh, I don't know if you saw, but there's that clip of him in the third quarter where he's basically telling his team, like, look, I need you guys to step up, like have some passion, I think is exactly what he said if you read his lips. And I mean, I've never seen someone, or I've never seen Steph have to talk to a team that way. He, If he's animated on the sidelines, it's always towards himself. And so as far as leadership goes, I think, he can still do that, but he definitely needs, you know, his Clay Thompson. He needs kind of, a, you know, that second person that he knows for sure uh, he can pass the ball to and will definitely, you know, come up big. Yeah, we'll see going forward. He, he's been not up and down. I don't want to say up and down because he's, cause he's been pretty good all season, but he's had some games where he's been vintage Steph Curry going for 60 points and launching threes from everywhere. And then he's had other games where he's been a little, he's shown his age just a little bit. So I think that's just all part of getting older at the tail end of your prime. Um, but keep in mind too, sorry, I don't yeah. mean to cut you no, off. No, you're good. Go but, ahead. Uh, keep, keep in mind too that you know, pretty much every defense is like, yeah, we're just going to run the box in one, four, four people around stuff. Uh, we're just going to do trapping on him, shut him down. If anyone else is going to be so be that or so, good. you know, you got Kelly Oubre who may be able to. Kenneth Bazemore has also been someone who's had a very quiet but good, like, you know, great shooting season. And even Wiggins, but teams know that. The ball is going to run through Steph. Steph is the main scoring option, and that if they shut Steph down, then you know they're going to be fine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And Clay Thompson, boy, that sh- that sure would help right now to have Clay Thompson out there um, to space the floor a little bit more, give him another shooting threat. But we'll we'll have to wait till next year for that. Um, with this current Warrior squad. If everybody that is on the court now remains healthy, Draymond, Steph, everybody's healthy going into the playoffs, what do you think is their ceiling? Um, I know I've thought a lot about that question, too, this entire season. Um, realistically, I would like to say um, that they, they, will get, they would easily make it into the playoffs should everything go smoothly uh, as like a six or seven seed possibly make it a competitive first round and then hopefully if anything you know good second round but I don't know how this current team can make it any further than that 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably a safe call this year, especially with the seems like we have a tier of top teams. Jazz have struggled a little bit of late, um, but the Jazz are up there, the Clippers, the Lakers, and then the Trailblazers. I kind of see right on the on the same tier, maybe a little bit better than the Warriors, but on the same tier as the Warriors. And you've got other teams like the Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns there as well. So it's going to be tough for any team to make it out of the West. Um, before exactly. I get and even the even the Nuggets too right now I think have a legitimate shot at making another push. I mean last year with the bubble and coming back from you know multiple three one leads, um, you know you can make your argument there. But also I mean Jokic and Murray as a combo are just um, I think when it matters most they both just come alive and it's it's amazing to watch. Yeah, the Nuggets. You can't really count them out with those two guys that after they performed last year in the bubble, and then hopefully Michael Porter Jr. I know that's well the, the always the big what if for the Nuggets fans is well if Michael Porter Jr. just does this will be great, but we haven't quite seen him be great consistently and stay on the floor as of yet. So that's still right. to be seen, but the Nuggets are definitely not to be trifled with. Um, going with the Warriors, who are some of your favorite like nostalgic? warrior players of all time doesn't necessarily have to be Steph Curry um, but who are some of your favorites that stick out in your mind so what's actually cool is I was able to meet Chris Mullen uh, about a year ago and he was just hanging outside the warrior stadium and he's one of the first like warrior vintage players that I remember watching highlights of and just being like man this guy was incredible and to see him just you know nonchalantly outside the warrior stadium no one even could realize who he was i was just like wait is this like is this legitimately him so but uh, Giant dude with the crew cut, you cool. can't miss him i know seriously and he, he still looks the exact same and he could still put up 50 i'm sure um so yeah him i mean of course tim hardaway baron davis um i still love me some some stephen jackson moments that guy was amazing for the warriors and Monte was my first favorite player to watch, so those are probably my, my big ones. Of course, Rick Barry, but all the stories I hear about him are just like, yeah, kind of a D-bag. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Rick Barry made famous the, the granny free throw shot. Yeah, I think there's a story out there. I mean, there's so many Rick Barry stories that are negative, so I'm not even going to get into those. <laughs> he seems like uh, not the best guy in the world, but there's a Rick Barry's story out there somewhere, I believe, I might be getting it wrong, where he worked with Shaq over a summer or over an offseason. He actually had Shaq shooting like 70, 75 percent on his free throws, shooting underhand. Um, but, you know, Shaq couldn't put his ego aside, so he never ended up doing it. And it worked out, I mean, fine for Shaq. He's got his rings. He's one of the best centers of all time. But that is uh, definitely an interesting story with the Warriors. Um what was it that yeah, none won- of that story sounds wrong actually yeah. yeah all of it is true take it to the grave with me um that one warrior season where they started off ridiculous the 73 win team and luke walton started what was it he, he coached them and they were like 27 and 0 or something like that yeah um yeah that that team was just insane beginning to finish um because i remember the last game of the season, when I want to say they played the Grizzlies at Oracle, 
and the stories I heard, because I was actually living in uh, New York City at the time, so the stories I heard from people that went to the game was like, it was basically like a championship game um, atmosphere. Like you wanted them to win that game more than anything else, just to say that you were part of that history. Of course, that season ended terribly, but um, yeah, just that entire season, the playmaking, the um, I mean, that postseason run was insane too. And just, I mean, yeah, it had a terrible ending, but it's still one that I think any Warriors fan would still be proud to say that they were able to watch any of it, really. Yeah, any fan base could be proud of a season like that. My big question is, we've seen how terrible of a coach Luke Walton is now. Wherever he's gone, he's he's just been horrible. Every fan base that he's been around, they say he's like the worst coach ever. So could you have coached the Warriors to an undefeated 27-0 record? Wow, that's a question. Um, with that team, I don't know how anyone couldn't have. I mean, that starting lineup, it was, you know, Steph, Clay, Bogut, Draymond. And that was the year Iguodala came off the bench. So I don't even remember who the fourth player was, actually. But, yeah, no, that entire – oh, was it most Spades? It might have been Spades. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he was coming off the bench, too. Anyways, um. Yeah, no. I mean, their bench was deep. Their starting five was great. But yeah, I, I don't think how I don't know how anyone couldn't have. And that's kind of where Steve Kerr is. And I was like, how could you not have coached, you know, those teams to, you know, what four or five straight championship runs? Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, and where does on those championship run teams where does KD rank? among Warriors fans is he seen as more of like a mercenary that came in was the finishing piece obviously a great player and he had great finals performances but more of a mercenary or is he thought of as like a true Warriors all-time great there's definitely two different camps um I am more in the one of like thanks for the help um you know you allowed us to get back and finish what we started with 2015-16 and then, you know, we went back to back and we we loved having him team and respect you a ton, but I just don't know if I could ever say, you know, this warrior great who was Kevin Durant. Because you know, he was there for all three years, left twenty nineteen and just because I follow the story pretty closely, I would argue that he didn't leave on very good terms. Uh, there's a book by Ethan Strauss now about the, the Warriors championship teams bringing in KD and all the drama that was there. Great at, at the beginning, but then he was upset that the Warriors were never his team. But it's like, you know, the Warriors were already established by the time you decided to join. But, you know, there are those who love KD and, you know, the, the, seeing him on the Warriors, they consider him to be, you know, blue and gold all the way through. But yeah, for me personally, I just it's it's hard for me to to really say that. Yeah, that's interesting. It'll be it's always those things change over time, especially when you know somebody retires. It'll be interesting to see kind of where people associate Kevin Durant with. Obviously, the bulk of his years will be with the Thunder um, and the SuperSonics. 
but he never won the big the title with them. So it'll be interesting to see if he wins one in Brooklyn, you know, if he's just kind of seen as a championship mercenary type or if he's thought of as a warrior. So we'll see over time. Um, you and then did see make, how far he goes with or see how uh, deep he gets with Nets fans also or if he you know, ends up anywhere else. Yeah, it's been interesting so far in Brooklyn. He hasn't really caused the ruckus of any kind. He's been, you know, on his best behavior for the most part while in Brooklyn. So we'll we'll see. The injury he has right now um, seems to be getting dragged out, which that always concerns me. Anytime, especially a guy who's seven foot over set, almost seven foot tall, um, starts, you know, having an injury drag out over time and he's getting a little bit older. You know, they're playing it off right now as you know, we're just getting ready for the playoffs, which could be true using an abundance of caution, making sure Katie's good to go um, whenever it matters. But and they're playing well, which helps. He doesn't have to be on the court for them. But um, that always concerns me anytime a seven foot tall guy is having an injury span out over a month when it was supposed to be, you know, a game or two. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I I have to laugh because right now they're basically a team of you know, NBA ring chasers at this point. You got Blake and DJ back on the same team, and then um, Katie and Kyrie both trying to show that they can win one on their own. And Steve Nash, too, is, is at the helm of it all. So I, I do think that they are looking good, but it's just, it, it was funny to me seeing the, the roster that they built up. Yeah, it, that's, that's, a, that's a whole conversation in, it, yeah. in itself. Um, I saw your post earlier. It was around Lamelo, kind of centered around Lamelo Ball, but the conversation was, and this is an interesting topic to me, how players that are in high school AAU and now going overseas in the G League, how they're being developed and how they're coming into the league a little bit more polished. Can you kind of explain your thoughts on that? Yeah. So uh, I don't even know really when I started thinking about it, I was thinking about how Lamelo has done great this year. Uh, when he made the decision to go overseas instead of go to college, people were all on him, trying to light him up, telling him that he's making a terrible decision. You know, you got to continue with school in case it doesn't pan out, since a lot of people didn't think he was going to be any better than Lonzo is. But he's kind of shut the haters up. He's doing great for the Hornets teams uh, right now. They are a super fun team to watch. Their highlights have been crazy this entire season, and he, as a playmaker, has really proven himself to, you know, he's he's where he belongs as an NBA player. And part of me wonders, you know, if, you know, most likely he would have gone to UCLA, just like his brother. I'm sure that's where his, his dad was too. And so if he went there, what would he be like as a player? Would he still be as good as he is? Did going overseas really help him just focus just on basketball instead of being more in the public eye? You know, they had their reality show, so, you know, the cameras would have been on him the entire time. And so I think that him going overseas was one of the best career decisions, you know, anyone his age could have made. And the G League is trying to get high school prospects to go to them, which I think both situations is great because you know, whereas in the NCAA, you have a lot more politics that goes into it. And, you know, you can't make money of any kind. Otherwise, you get all kinds of fines and suspensions. And so um, with 
parents having to pay for that, you know, AAU cost and allowing their children to then make a decision between college or making some kind of money and helping, you know, in some way or another, um, you know, pay the AAU costs. If that's, you know, an issue, then I think that's awesome too. And then you're able to just be fully immersed and playing with not just prospects, but people who have actual real league, whether it be NBA, Euro league, or just any other league across the sea um, experience. And I think for anyone trying to develop their game, that's, one of the best things that you do. Yeah, it's hard to explain to people that haven't really watched his journey, but the, the kid's basically been a pro player since he was 16 years old. You know, he left Chino Hills after his brother brother was, you know, went to UCLA and got drafted eventually. And he went to Lithuania first um, with his other brother. I don't know if, you know, that was the best decision. It seemed more like they were doing that for Leangelo to ch- kind of get some shine. Then he came back here. They started their own league. Um, that was interesting. Didn't last very long. And then he yeah. went back to high school again. And then he went overseas again. So that kid has been a pro since he's 16 years old, basically. Yeah. And, I mean, if you remember watching uh, any of the highlights from when he played Zion's AU game, like, he was good. And, you know, we knew from the beginning that he could shoot, but, you know, his defense was never really there. He uh, he was tall. He was long, but, you know, he didn't he wasn't able to put much, put on much weight. And so I think when he went overseas, like, you know, he was just able to focus on just himself. You know, all the outside noise was gone. And so he had a goal. He knew what he had to do to reach that goal. And now we're we're seeing the. Uh, the results of everything that he's been through. Yeah, I, I was actually um, on a podcast. I was on, I was a guest on a podcast with a, a young chap from England, and we were comparing football, or as we call it in American soccer, the system they have over there to NBA and basketball. He was kind of confused by the, you know, we have NCAA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and then we have junior colleges. And the draft process, he was kind of confused by because they don't use the draft for soccer over there or football, if you call it that. Um, I don't want to offend soccer heads or the football heads, (laughs) but they use basically an academy system. So these children are brought up, you know, he said as early as four years old, scouts are going out there to these soccer fields and scouting them and putting them into an academy system where they are just doing soccer. They do schoolwork, but they it's mostly focused on getting them ready for the next level of soccer. And I could see over time, it's not going to be like next year or anything, but there are some shifts in America and how we do um, college sports to maybe that academy system. That would be interesting to see too, for sure. Yeah, because it's it, monetization and, you know, you've seen lawsuits over this and video games with college likenesses has been a problem and players want to get paid for good reasons. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, over time. Before I let you get out of here, I want to get a hot take from you. Do you have a hot take about a team or a player can be past, can be present, um, maybe who the GOAT is? You don't want to piss too many people off, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, go for it. The floor is yours. 
Um, so recently I had another post about, you know, whether we can really consider LeBron as a, as a real Laker. I've never been that crazy of a, of a Laker fan. You know, being in the area, you're kind of, because that's where I'm from, uh, you kind of are raised to hate Southern Californian teams. And so, you know, I don't really have that background, but for me personally, just as a basketball fan, I don't know how we could really acknowledge like uh, LeBron as a real Laker. Like what he's done for the franchise has been awesome. You know, he's played turning them around pretty much by himself, but just, just for me personally, I don't know how someone who bounces around the league as much as he has. And then is like, look, I'm going to just do some good here in LA for you guys. I, I just don't know how me as a fan could, just like me with Durant, I guess. I just don't know how I could acknowledge him as a as a true Laker. Yeah, Neek, who is uh, one of the users on the app, you see him on there all the time, and he's been on the podcast before. He he definitely shares your sentiments. He's a huge Lakers fan and a huge Kobe fan, but not necessarily the biggest LeBron fan. He even told me um, one of the first episodes we take his hot take was LeBron's not that great of a passer, so. He's definitely with you on that. He's not going to be remembered as an all-time Laker. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so you're not alone. Do, do you want to share anything, or you got any thoughts about the NBA before I let you get out of here? Um, I don't think so. The only thing that uh, I've kind of wanted a lot of people to see is just the uh, the potential that James Wiseman really has. Like some people are. You know, I've, I've seen people just say that, you know, he just gets wide open dunks, which is true. But I think once he really develops his game and he gets a sense of confidence under himself, that kid's going to be so good. I was watching, I remember the season opener, and I was like, this kid is going to just, um, or the season opener at home, because the one against the Nets wasn't great. But I just remember watching him just thinking, man, this guy's going to, he's only played three games in college, sort of. And I mean, he's just, he has so much potential and hopefully people can, can recognize that and hopefully the Warriors can keep him, honestly. Yeah. On James Wiseman, if you had to make a comp of what his ceiling is, what player in the league kind of reminds you of James Wiseman? So I made the comparison to, to him and Giannis. Uh, he's, he's built right now bigger than Giannis was. They're about the same height. Uh, both of them can run the run the floor, and I think that should he be able to find that confidence, should he be able to develop his post game, uh, you know that inside game, being able to drive to the basket and not just you know put back slams or whatever, just being a typical glass cleaner, I I do think that both of them would be comparable in the fact that you know they can get to the rim, they can bring the defense and, you know, shoot uh, from deep when they need to. Yeah, if he can be Giannis 2.0, I think the Warriors have plenty to look forward to, especially after missing out on Giannis. Some Warriors fans were having dreams about Giannis signing in Golden State, but that didn't happen in the end. So maybe you got Giannis 2.0 and you don't even have to sign Giannis. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been great. I thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely have you on in the future. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, this was this was cool.
Man, Steph just. Steph is running into the front court. Draymond <laughs> finds him another it. three. Oh. Got it! 62! <laughs> 62! And he actually surpasses his buddy, Clay Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not get ready to rumble because this is the end of the podcast. Thank you to all my listeners, all two of you. I see you. I see you, brother. I see you, sister. Thank you for sticking through with me. This was the Halftime Community Podcast. Before I let you all go, though, I do want to announce next week I'm going to get everybody together as soon as possible. We're going to do the Halftime Community Roundtable where we talk to some of the guests we've heard from already this season and some of our favorites, some of our up-and-coming favorites. We're going to get all those hot takes in just like you like it. But before I let you all go, the GOAT debate. I'm going to give you a break, actually. Let's save that for the roundtable. We'll get into the GOAT debate. Who was the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest now? All the important questions you want answered. We'll do it on the next episode of the Halftime Community Podcast.